That was good bell ringers, but I'm going to tell you what, that Jared Dorsey, he's, he's a windbag, isn't he? My word. Have you ever tried to pick up one of those things or anything similar to it? And I didn't realize what he plays has so many buttons on it. I've seen the buttons on the front before. I've never seen He's played with the back of his hand up here. And we're thankful for talent that God uh, gives to folks. We're going to read a number of scriptures tonight. So have your Bible ready and be ready to, uh, to move from place to place. But let me ask you to think about a couple things tonight as we begin. Have you ever been around somebody who is just way too joyful? I mean, it's, it's almost obnoxious. They're upbeat all the time. And you just sort of want to... But on the other hand, have you ever been around somebody who is the very opposite of that? They are what we would call the eternal pessimist. And they have no joy and no happiness to them. And everything is bad. And life is going downhill. And there's nothing good going on. And they're upset with everybody, including the dog. And they kick at anything. And when you go to talk to them, they say something like, if you only knew what it was like to be me. There's a big difference between those two categories of people. And often it is because there, are, there is a vast difference of happiness and joy. And you can have joy without being happy. But you'll never be happy without joy. Happiness has to do with happenings and it's an emotion. Joy is not an emotion. Joy isn't something that comes from outside. But joy rather is something that comes from inside in the depths of our hearts. And I can tell you this tonight, I am not always happy. But I should always be joyful. Joyful tonight because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were by the funeral home this afternoon, especially in the time frame that I was there, you'll, you will know that the funeral home was full. And not just for Brother Adams, there were a number of people there, but there were at least three other viewing rooms tonight that were full. And the chapel, which is unusual for a Sunday evening, the chapel was full. I noticed the different groups of people who were there. I sat in the parking lot for a few moments. And if I were to be a fruit inspector, just by people's demeanor, just by the appearance of people and walking through the parking lot and hearing the conversation, hearing the tone, being in the hallways and listening to people who, by all means, their hearts are grieving. There were other families there tonight that had been robbed of their happiness, and you could tell they have no joy. The Bible talks to us much about this thought of rejoicing. Tonight, I'll I'll give you a little bit of time between scriptures, not a great deal. It'll be like an old-fashioned sword drill. You'll have to move quick. 
But I want us to read several verses that I believe are poignant to what we're looking at tonight. And then, as we gave you ten things that rob us of our joy, tonight I want to get through all eight of reasons to rejoice. Things that if you're a Christian tonight, if you start to feel low, if you start to feel down, that's why I want you to write them somewhere, preferably in your Bible where it's not a sheet of paper that will be taken out and thrown away. And you and I know, we begin to, we, we, we have some common sense about when our joy is waning. And we'll be able to go back to the Scriptures and strengthen our joy based on what we look at and these eight reasons that I believe we scripturally should rejoice. Matthew chapter 2, of course, is the story of the coming of the Messiah. The wise men are en route. They're coming to see the Lord Jesus. They have stopped by the government officials' home, the palace. They have been instructed, when you find him, return and tell me, so I can go and worship too. The reason that they stopped there was to find where the Christ child was. But when we come to chapter 10 and verse 2, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. Why? Because there was direction that was being given to them, and they understood what they were about to see. Now to Luke chapter 1. And we'll be in two verses with Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 and in verse number 14. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. And now verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Now notice that doesn't say my flesh has but my spirit has. And now if you would, a few pages to Luke at chapter number 10. Luke chapter number 10, and come to verse number 20. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. They had a misunderstanding of why they ought to have joy and why they ought to be rejoicing. At this point, the Scripture is addressing men who were looking for joy based on what they could do. Don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice because of miracles that are performed. Those are not the key things. But rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Chapter 10, now verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes, even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. Notice in verse 21, Jesus is doing what we're told to do in verse number 20. Rejoicing in the spirit. John chapter 4, if you would please. John in chapter number 4, and verse number 36. 
And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both the sower and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And then a few more pages to chapter 16. Jesus is speaking in John chapter 16 and verse number 22. He says, but I will see you again. Now remember we covered this verse a few weeks ago. They still didn't have full perception of what was about to happen. And he's talking to them about his resurrection. And he says, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Now to the book of Romans chapter 5, if you would. Are you getting tired of turning yet? We've got a few more. Romans chapter 5 and verse number 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. A few more pages away in the book of Philippians, and we'll have a couple of verses there. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Philippians, we've been telling you for the last few Sunday nights, is the book of the Bible that talks about joy. Philippians 2.16, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored, In vain. We ought to rejoice tonight. We have reason to rejoice and have joy in our service for the Lord. Philippians 3 and 3. And rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. James chapter 1 and verse 9. Let the brother of lower degree rejoice in that he is exalted. James chapter 4 and verse 16. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. You're rejoicing in what your hands have been able to do and the accomplishments of your life. But he says that such rejoicing is evil. Listen, if you, if you and I rejoice in the days of our youth when we can accomplish a lot of things, then what happens to our joy as we age and we can't do what we used to do? But now ye rejoice in your boastings and your strength and your abilities. All such rejoicing is evil. And so there are some types of rejoicing that are not right. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye suffer the heaviness through manifold temptations. And then we finish in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. I left you there in Philippians and not having you turn to the others. How do we get to the place that we can rejoice. How do you get to the place that you're the person which we first spoke of that just seems to always have a joy and always have a smile? This verse doesn't contain the word rejoice, but it gives us the description of what we have to do. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, 
or if there be any praise, think on these things. That second person that I mentioned to you tonight who seems to be the eternal pessimist. Nothing is ever good. Nothing is ever right. Nothing is ever joyful. Can I tell you the problem that they have? They're thinking. They're thinking. Why? Because their thinking is trapped only on the negative things. Only on the down things. Only of the things of suffering. Only on the things of turmoil. We watched for a few minutes last night with grandkids and a few of the kids. Eeyore. Isn't he a pathetic character? And yet he's a cartoon. If you take on the character of Eeyore, it will be said of you, you're a pathetic person. Everything's always bad. It's not ever going to get better. Poor guy. But that's what he thinks. The answer for us, we have looked at ten things that rob us of our joy. The answer for us is in our thinking, our focus. I want to give you tonight eight things that how in the midst of pain, how in the midst of suffering, how in the midst of negative things, we can maintain and build our joy. Number one, we rejoice, and I'm talking to Christians tonight, we rejoice because of the sovereignty of our God. We rejoice because of the sovereignty of our God. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 is one that probably the majority of the room has memorized. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to them that are called according to His purpose. What the verse is simply saying to us is this, that God is in absolute control. So rejoice. You say, preacher, something bad happened. God still controls that. We looked at it this morning. Where was God when Job was going through all of this? Right there with him. Proof positive from the Scripture. The sovereignty of God. Where was God when the three Hebrews were being questioned? They're given a second opportunity to bow, and they said, we're still not going to do it. And they bound them hand and foot. And they made a speech and they said, if God chooses to spare us, He can and He will. But if He chooses not to, we're okay with that. And then they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Full of such fire that when the flames blew out, they killed men. I can't help but think, there was enough human nature in the three of them that they screamed. Because that's a human nature thing. I saw a video on something not too long ago of some folks that were on vacation. 
And they chose to ride something called the slingshot. And basically, they sat down in this contraption. Some of my family have ridden some of these things. I'm the brain side of the family. I did not. And they buckle them in and all of this kind of stuff. And they pull this thing down. And the lady is sitting in the seat. Now remember, she put herself there. And immediately, she starts screaming. It hasn't even done what it's supposed to do yet. They haven't hit the release button yet. And this woman starts screaming about how horrible it is. Oh, this is horrible. Heaven help me. Why did I choose to get on this? I'm going to die. And they finally hit the button. And she and her daughter that were on this thing, phew, and they had a camera right in front of them. Immediately, she went silent. She went silent something like, and nothing was coming out. The reality is this. A lot of times we start screaming about things that we put ourselves in the position You can say whatever you want to about those rides. If you want to ride those, fine. I'm not doing it. Me and Brother Dowdy will stand on the sidewalk and watch you. But do you know this about those rides? Somebody is in control. And there's not one thing that happened this week. And my word, this has been a week of happenings. Not one thing has happened this week that was not under the control of God's hand. So this week, when something happens that we don't plan, you may not rejoice in the circumstance, but rejoice in this, the sovereignty of God. God's in control. God is in absolute control. Nothing takes place in my life that He has not allowed And that he is not controlling. Number two. Rejoice. Number one, because of the sovereignty of the Father. Number two, because of the grace of the Son. Because of the grace of the Son. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. No matter What happens this week? When Christ saved us, we have His word that He made us new creatures. He stripped away the old cloak, the old man. Old things are what? Passed away. All things are become or becoming new. He stripped away the old man and He is clothing He is robing. He is the propitiation for our sins. What is that? He is the satisfying sacrifice. Because before that, we we rehearsed again just a few services ago, the scripture that says this, man without God, (coughs) I'm paraphrasing, 
Man without God, man without Christ, having rejected salvation, have not received salvation yet, says this, and the wrath of God abideth on him. Listen, if you have nothing else to rejoice in, rejoice in the fact that God is in control, he's sovereign, and rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ became the propitiation for our sins, and he took the wrath of God upon himself, and God is not angry with us. And when God looks on us, he now sees us through the grace of Of his son, Jesus Christ. Number one, we rejoice because of the sovereignty of God. Number two, we rejoice because of the grace of the son. Number three, we rejoice because of the presence of the spirit. We rejoice because of the presence of the spirit. Psalm 23, verse number four. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. David writing those words. And God, in a direct way, was with the saints of the Old Testament, the characters of the Old Testament. But we we live in a new dispensation. We live under the grace of the Son. And Jesus explained it to the disciples when he says, it's expedient that I go away. It's absolutely necessary. And basically he's saying this, Peter, James, John, let's just use those three disciples. While I'm here, you can walk with me side by side on the road to Galilee. And we can travel back and we can go to Samaria. We can go here and we can go there. But... I'm not here with you and the others at the same time. And it's necessary for me to go away so that I can send the one who has promised another comforter. And the beauty of Christ's presence with us in this point is it's the presence of the Holy Spirit. And tonight when we leave here, we don't leave Jesus here. We don't leave God here. We don't leave the Holy Spirit here. You go to your house and He's with you. And I go to my house and He's with me. And this one goes here and this one goes here. And I think of so many of our missionaries tonight. And to know for a fact. And we've been praying for uh, Karina's family in Venezuela. And praying for the country. Praying for our brother. We told you this morning. Uh, and Wednesday night, the fact that he, uh, they had power back and he'd gotten the dialysis that they needed. And the saints that are there, the believers that are there, the Holy Spirit is with them. If God hadn't sent the Holy Spirit, there would never be able to have the fulfillment of the promise. And lo, I'm with you always. So if there's no other reason to rejoice than this, The sovereignty of God, the grace of the Son of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. And David understood what that was. God with me and me with God. And just as God came to the Garden of Eden, and the Bible says it was the cool of the evening, 
And God's desire was fellowship with Adam. And every evening he came and he spoke with him and he communed with him and he had fellowship until there was sin. I wonder what they talked about. I wonder what their fellowship was. The point I say at this, at this part is to understand this. The same communing that God did with Adam before sin. He desires to have with us today. And he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It gives us reason to rejoice. Number five. We rejoice because of the comfort of the Scriptures. Your Bible ought to be precious to you. It ought to be meaningful to you. Your Bible and your favorite pair of shoes ought to be in about the same condition. Worn. Showed up for the funeral service yesterday and Michael, Margaret's son, looked at my Bible and he said, hmm, that's well worn. And I said, thank the Lord for the testimony. Brenda told me a few moments ago at the funeral home, she, she said, Daddy has now done to me what I asked him not to do, and I've got to clean that apartment out. She said, there are stacks of your church bulletins. And she said, one of the things that I wanted to get first to make sure it was secure was his Bible. She said, Pastor, I, I haven't found the Bible he was using. But I will tell you this. I have found over 40 Bibles in his apartment already. I said, well, I suggest that you look near his bed or near his recliner or near his favorite seat, buy a favorite lamp or whatever it happens to be. And I said, I think there you'll find the one that he was currently using. Listen, there ought to be such comfort from the Scriptures. The Scriptures ought to make us rejoice. Psalm 119 and 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I rejoice at thy word as one who findeth great spoil. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Then Paul, the old man, just about ready to leave the scene, reminds Timothy of this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then he uses a word that I have been emphasizing with you for the last three weeks. That. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That. Signifying the purpose is coming. That the man of God may be perfect. That word means matured. Thoroughly furnished. 
All the answers that we need, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. David, or Jeremiah rather, said this, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I don't get a lot of joy reading the Times Dispatch. Nor magazines, nor a lot of articles. When I feel like my joy is being wrung out of me as a person, as a preacher... Do you know what I find restores that joy? Right here. Because it's not what man says. It's what God says. Number five, we rejoice because of the comfort of the scriptures. Number six. We rejoice because of the certainty of answered prayer. Now, before I go any further, I didn't say we rejoice because God answered my prayer the way I desired for it to be answered. And God doesn't promise that. (laughs) There's a lot of people that grab onto certain verses and take them sort of out of context. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22 states this. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive. There's other passages of Scripture that I could pull out and read for you tonight. And there's a certain group of people who take that to mean you name it and claim it. Now, I'm good at naming some things. But that doesn't mean it's what's best for me. And let me tell you this tonight. You can pray, God will answer, but it may not be the answer that you want. Because God may very well know that what you have asked is not for your best. And when God does something and answers your prayer, He's going to answer it for what is best. So we can rejoice because of the certainty that God answers our prayer. Now understand, God is not a genie in a bottle. And that's the way people often treat him. Grant me my three wishes. Grant me what I want. I, there have been prayers that I have prayed that still have not been answered the way that I would like for them to be answered. And I have prayed prayers and had God answer me no. And truthfully, I've done what my grandkids do. You know what it is to be around a child who asks for something. I'll have a drink out. I'll have a Diet Coke out. I don't do Diet Dr. Pepper. I'll have a Diet Coke out. And I've got one of the grandkids, a couple of them, actually two of them that will, they love me. And it's amazing how quickly they come sit on my lap. And they call it Papa's juice. I want some of your juice. 
And I often will have to look at their mothers or their dads and they'll say just a little bit. But I had something the other night that I had to say no. And in particular, in this one, it was to bear it. He can put on the most pitiful face when you say no. He instantly... He began to shake and his eyes welled up with water and his bottom lip just and his head turned sideways, so to say. Papa, please reconsider. <laughs> no. That's my answer. And you may not like the answer that God gives. But you can rejoice in this. He is going to answer. And he's going to answer what's best. And he's going to answer what's right. Six, we rejoice because of the certainty of answer prayer. Seven, we rejoice because of the fellowship of the saints. That's the church. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse number 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you and for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? The church is much like a spiritual bank. Your, your interest in a bank really is determined by what you have invested in that bank. I can hear that SunTrust Bank was robbed, and it doesn't mean anything to me. I can hear that oh, I could list off all sorts of different banks. This bank was robbed today. Three banks were robbed today. And I listen to the name on them and think, doesn't involve me, doesn't involve me. I was... I have been with the bank that I'm with now since I was 16 years old. Don't ask me what it was when I started. I think it was Bank of Virginia, but it's been bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold till it's now Wells Fargo. If the news says Wells Fargo was robbed, that just got my attention. The church is like a spiritual bank. Its value is based on what you invest in it. And I'm not talking about tithes and offerings tonight. I'm talking about relationships like we did this morning in Sunday school. Time and service, heart and love. When we invest more, we receive more. Psalm 111 and verse 1 David speaking says, Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. So number seven, we will rejoice because of the fellowship of the saints, being a part of a family. And we're part of a family. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one is facing difficulty, we all face that difficulty with them. And I still, I don't know that I will ever forget 
the funeral service yesterday looking at it's the only time that I can say that has ever happened. And I looked at my left hand side, and every person in the chapel was our church family. And out of the probably 40 to 50 people that were there, 98% were our church people. And I could ask those of you in this room who were there, I, I could say, were you there for Shorty because you knew him and because you loved him and you had a relationship with him, you went fishing with him, you played cards with him? Nah. Why were you there? Because of one little lady that is sat right here. And she's a part of your family. Rejoice because of the fellowship of the saints. Rejoice because of the church. Number eight and last. Look at there. We're going to get through all eight of them right on time tonight. You can make it to Dairy Queen. Number eight. Rejoice because of the proclamation of the gospel. Rejoice because of the proclamation of the gospel. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 18. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do rejoice. Yes, and will rejoice. I therein rejoice and will rejoice. Now I want you to remember what's happening here and who's writing, Paul. You remember when Paul said this? And I would, brethren, that ye, I would that ye would know that the things that have happened unto me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I was shipwrecked for a person, purpose. Because in that shipwreck, the gospel went forward. I was beaten for a purpose. Because the night I was beaten, the gospel was preached. Because the jailer was saved. And you'll notice that they got the whole family together and the same gospel was given. And the Bible says that the jailer and his house. I was beaten for the proclamation of the gospel. I was shipwrecked for the proclamation of the gospel. I was stoned while preaching. And they cast me out of the city because they thought I was dead. But I wasn't. God used that to allow me, again, to preach the gospel. And tonight, as we finish this, what God does for us, because He is sovereign, and what He allows in our lives, privileges us to preach the gospel. And I'm not talking about from behind the pulpit. I'm talking to you about in the workplace, and in the neighborhood, and in all of those places. You remember the first century church? The Bible says that they were scattered abroad because of fear of what was going to happen to them regarding their faith. They left their homes. And they carried with them the gospel. And the Bible says that the word of God was preached in every part of the world. The gospel was proclaimed. Not in good state. 
These people are running for their lives. About 10 to 12 years ago, we had a missionary in Kenya. We had a missions dinner in the gym, and during that time, there was an uprising, and he got calls from the people in the church there in Kenya, and the, they were running for their lives. And the pastor and several of the men of the church were shot with arrows as they were running. They left the village, and they abandoned the church building. And they went back to their village of origin. But they took with them the gospel. And for the next 10 years, they preached the gospel in their home villages. And churches were established in their village. Do you know what happened two years ago now? They came back. They came back to the church building and rebuilt, restored. The church was reborn in the village. And I can't help but think of that verse where Paul said, the things that have happened to me have happened to the, for the furtherance of the gospel. Again, tonight, I don't know what you're facing this week or today or next week, but we ought to rejoice in this, in our faithfulness, if we're faithful to the Lord in this. The things that happen unto us happen for the furtherance of the gospel. And therefore, God gets credit and glory for our rejoicing. So there you have it. Ten things that rob us, that suck the joy out of us. Throw us to the side. And eight powerful scriptural things that if we think, remember that's where we started tonight, if there be, and there's a list of positive things, if we think those things, it will keep us focused on these eight. And we have every reason to rejoice regardless of what happens tonight or tomorrow or this week or this year. God gives us reason. We just have to think on it. Let's pray together, please.